Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good morning, good morning, good morning. We are live with Patricia Adams Live. We have our special guest in the studio, um, Dr. Kevin Carlson, J.D., and he will be talking to us also on the topic of men who are abused. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, Dr. Kevin before we get in a little bit too deeper. And I want you to really consider the skill that he brings to the table, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to set the framework for this topic with people who are experts in their particular field as it pertains to the validity of men who are abused and the effect of the abuse on men and those around them who love them and also the effect that it has on men in the workplace and in the home and in the community. And Kevin, Dr. Kevin Carlson, J.D., is one of the nation's leading divorce litigation and recovery experts. He is an executive producer and author, and as well as he has written several articles, and he has been mentioned in several articles. Dr. Carlson has been a pioneer in the application of social science to law and business as a trial consultant specializing in divorce litigation. Kevin specializes in strategies, insightful tips, and practical tools for people before, during, and after divorce. His strengths as a strategist, talent developer, and a gifted, insightful coach, along with his extensive experience in in coaching, divorcing, and divorced people make him uniquely qualified to help others overcome these challenges, both as a coach to lawyers and their clients. He served as a consultant to churches and nonprofit organizations, developing programs and services to meet the needs of divorcing people and blended families. 
He has led divorce recovery programs, taught co-parenting, and coached hundreds of divorcing clients through the process of divorce as a divorce litigation consultant. And if you want to know more about his education, he has also been highly rated as a teacher at two different business schools at the UT Dallas, University of Texas Dallas Graduate School of Management Cohort MBA program, Business Communication, and the SMU Cox School Business Leadership Center, Managing Difficult People. He has received two Teaching Excellence Awards from the SMU BLC, and he has been endorsed by hundreds of people. And I want to also say that he is the founder and executive producer at Paradox Productions. It is the producer of a documentary-style reality TV show, Children of Hope. He is the founder and chief vision officer of the Partners for Family Impact, a faith-based nonprofit organization dedicated to the restoration of fatherless children and single parents. After a long career in helping families get through the trauma of divorce and recovery, he is now devoting himself to preventing divorce and restoring fatherless kids and single-parent families. Let's welcome Dr. Carson to the show. Good morning. Good morning, Patricia. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you for being up with us and for agreeing to be on the show at 6 a.m. Central Standard Time. And it is an honor to have you on the show. And I really, truly employ you guys. His name is in the description box of the show. And you can look him up for yourself. You can find him on his social media platforms. And you can reach out to him. Anyone that we have been bringing on the show to discuss topics of this nature, we try to lay the foundation for future guests to come on the show, men who are not credentials, men who don't have expertise in certain areas, but they have the experience of living through trauma, living with trauma, and life after trauma. And that's the main thing is we discuss difficult topics that most people consider taboo, that you don't want to talk about it at church. You don't want to talk about it in your social circle. You don't want to talk about it at dinner. You don't want to talk about it at the park. And it's almost like a green eggs and ham type scenario. You know, I will not talk about it. I will not talk about it here. I will not talk about it there. I will not talk about it anywhere. But here on Patricia Adams Live, we are going to talk about it. So I welcome you once again, I, Dr. Kevin, and I want to just say that I I've had conversations with other men who are JDs as well. And some of these JDs have also experienced abuse. And I find it fascinating that the way that the body works, its ability to shut off and shut on or turn on, rather, depending on the stimulus that it's exposed to. Because you can be at home and be totally, totally, totally uh, devastated. But if you have a task in front of you, you get up and you perform that task as if nothing is going on. And you continue to do that and you continue to do that until it becomes routine. It becomes a new normal. And you 
kind of lose sight of the fact that you aren't the person that you used to be. And you just kind of like start to function almost, I guess, you know, you call it like a puppet master. You know, you've got all these different strings that are pulling you and manipulating you. And you just go with the flow. You know, okay, this is you in public. This is you in church. This is you in school. This is you at the grocery store. This is you at work. This is you at home. And I remember the scene in Pinocchio, right, Um, the movie, the Disney movie Pinocchio. And when Geppetto was playing with Pinocchio and then he would drop him down to the ground and he would just flop, hands, legs, everything would just flop down. And that's the sign of my mind, of thinking in terms of what abuse does to a human being. I've gone through abuse. I've gone through several different levels of abuse, and I understand your position about even the article that you shared about neuroplasticity, the effect of uh, brain damage that can happen living in this kind of trauma, but there is hope. There is always hope. There is always light at the end of the tunnel you can recover, and there is life after. So I want to turn the show over to you and let you speak however you feel you want to speak on the topic this morning. Once again, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. So um, uh, domestic violence victims, uh, about one of every three victims is a man. So um, domestic violence happens to everybody. Um, my my first exposure really was um, during graduate school when I was working as an intern in an agency which dealt with abused children. And most of our most of our victims were girls, but um, just like for adults, about one of every three of the the kids that were abused were were boys. And um, in in the early stages of of my career, we didn't know as much about the effects of uh, domestic violence. And abuse on on brain development that that we do now. There's been a lot of research in the last 20 years, especially um, that looks at the effects of not just being abused, but being in a household where abuse is occurring, and its effect on children and and um, and their brain development. And it's pretty clear now that um, that kids who grow up in um, houses where there's uh, domestic violence going on, all they have to do is to be a witness. Uh, to the violence to have their brain development adversely affected. And so kids that grow up in households where there's domestic violence or um, abuse against them especially, um, you know, their brains after a few years of exposure look just like combat veterans who've been exposed to combat. There's um, noticeable changes in the way that their brains work and the ways that the brain reacts to stress and um, that, the chronic exposure to um, domestic violence is a stress that kids' brains are just not designed to um, to deal with, and so it has um, definite measurable effects now that we can kind of look at kids' brains with um, imaging techniques that are available now. Um, as you've been saying, though, um, even if that's true, once someone is removed from the situation where that stress and that violence is occurring, then the brain begins to heal, and so um, that's why it makes it, it it makes it so important for um, for intervention to happen early in um, in families where there is violence, um, either changing the behavior of the adults, and if that's not possible, 
because the adults have a serious and persistent mental illness or because they're chronically um, uh, substance abusers, then it's important for the kids to be removed to, a, to an environment where they don't have to suffer through the effects of that kind of uh, ongoing stress. Um, you know, so that, that violence is, um, is not, you know, gender specific. It happens to both boys and girls and to men and women. And, um, and for uh, adults who are being abused, generally speaking, um, you know, dysfunctional marriage relationships or uh, even long-term relationships that are, that are, that don't involve uh, legal marriage, um, about, uh, Two of every three narcissists, or two of every three narcissists are men, but that means one of every three narcissists um, is a woman. And um, narcissistic women are just as abusive as narcissistic men. There just aren't as many of them. So, um, so it's very possible for for domestic violence victims to be men uh, if they're in a relationship with a woman who is um, seriously personality disordered or has a, a serious and persistent mental illness. Um, men can be victims of domestic violence as well. And as you pointed out, um, most victims of violence um, are ashamed and feel responsible for being a victim, and so they don't report it, um, they don't get help, uh, they don't reach outside the family, and particularly for families that are where one of the partners is a narcissist, the controlling behavior of the narcissist leads to social isolation of the partner. And so it's it's not unusual for men um, who are victims to um, be socially isolated from their communities and to be uh, ashamed of what's going on and feel like it's their fault somehow and, um, and consequently don't reach out, don't talk about it, and don't get help. Don't get help. So, um, you know, we want to uh, encourage men who may be in relationships that are abusive to recognize that, you know, if somebody's hitting on you or controlling you or shaming you or calling you names or um, threatening you in some way that you're in an abusive relationship and that is not okay and um, you need to reach out and get help and, and stop the cycle of, of um, violence from happening. Um, because of my work with the divorcing women, um, uh, I frequently have to kind of teach people that um, – an abusive relationship cycle. It usually takes about seven years for people to um, reach the point where they feel like they can leave a, an abusive relationship. And um, the cycle of violence is uh, one of um, increasing tension in the household until there's a, um, an episode of abuse. And then um, it's not unusual for the abuser to um, apparently or uh, um, apologize and then start the cycle over again. And um, it's because most abusers have a personality disorder, um, the abuse is not likely to stop until the abuser um, gets treatment. And for for people who are really narcissistic, um, they're um, virtually impossible to treat. So um, the only solution for, for most people in abusive relationships is to leave because abusers are highly unlikely to um, to be treatable and to change their behavior. Um, so um, so if, if you're in an abusive relationship, I just encourage you to, um, you know, go to the Internet. Google is very helpful. You can find everything you need to know about uh, domestic violence and about um, the cycle of abuse, and, and there are resources online. 
um, available for um, domestic violence victims. Um, lots of local resources are also available. And so if you're the victim of domestic violence in any way, whether you're a man or a woman, um, you know, reach out, get help, and uh, get yourself out of the situation. It's it's not only uh, um, having an effect on your emotional health and and probably on your um, relationships, but it's it's having an adverse effect on your brain. So it's time to do something about that. Um. Okay, Patricia, I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have. You know, I was thinking when you were talking about that. This is if you if we speak of it in the secular sense. And then if you speak of it in a religious sense, I have heard and I have witnessed, so this is like firsthand information for me, where pastors are being abused by their wives. And in reverse, so for some reason in the religious community, it's like, well, you may your vows for better for worse. This is worse. And you have to commit to this relationship and you have to commit to work through this relationship. And you keep standing this relationship up and you keep wrapping the Bible around this relationship. But for me, I I study the Bible. So I know the Bible for myself. And clearly, there are scriptures in the Bible that speak on domestic violence, on being mistreated, on being abandoned. And yet we still have this framework in the secular and the religious community that don't line up, basically. And I believe that there should be congruency no matter where you are, what station, what position you're in, it should be level for anybody, no matter what position you're in, no matter what community you're in, it should be level because it should be about humanity. And the Bible speaks about humanity. And the Bible teaches us about humanity and how to treat one another. And for those who are religious and you are finding yourself in a situation like this, this show is for you for those of you who are officers in another way, another shape, form, or position, if you're in a business environment, if you're in a non, whatever your environment is, this show is for you because we turn a deaf ear and we walk away and we say, you know, um, the favorite thing that I hear people say is that I won't call them unless they call me. If they're in distress, they need to call me, and that's not even scriptural, that someone has to pick up the phone and call you. You know what I'm saying? To cry out for help, because you can see clearly where Jesus is saying, you know, about being our brother's keeper. But at the same time, he says, now, if you see someone who is overtaken, overtaken in a fault, go to him one-on-one, or her, go to him and restore them, okay? And if they won't hear you, then you go back with what? A witness. 
and after you've gone back with the witness, and if they don't want to be restored and reconciled, then there are further steps to take. This is supposed to be within the church community, right? But clearly we are supposed to initiate. And for some reason, I remember growing up is that if you, as a kid, if you walked around in the neighborhood and you did something wrong, somebody was going to pull you over to the side, chastise you verbally or try to spank you and then call and tell your family on you. And you were going to get another spanking when you got home, whatever you want to call it. But we, you know, but now people are like, you know, mind your own business, you know, stay in your own lane. This is not about you. And it is hard to navigate, hard to navigate in this age that we're in where people want to do what they want to do and they want to be able to control um, the the whole I don't have the word that I really am thinking about, but they want to control the whole scenario for for the lack of, of, of the word that I'm looking for. They want to control the whole scenario. This is, you know, my domain and your opinion, your whatever, your insight or whatever, it's not welcome here. And so that's not wisdom. So I grew up, you know, learning the principles of the word, and I now as an adult, appreciate those, even if they were convoluted or twisted, because I am still a Christian, I'm still a believer, and I still am a student of the Word, and I'm still a teacher of the Word. How would you speak to someone in leadership of the home? First, you know, it's like you've got a man, then he's a leader in his home, he's a leader at church, he's a leader in the community, and you know for a fact that this man is being abused and would you just continue to say, well, don't say anything to him until he says something? Well, um, men are in a difficult, Christian men in particular are in a kind of a difficult situation because um, the Bible does make it clear that the man is supposed to be the head of the house. Um, However, it's um, you know, the New Testament particularly is very clear about what's the nature of um, of a love relationship, and um, and you know, Corinthians uses um, Christ's uh, relationship with the church as the as the model for what a relationship between husband and wife is supposed to be like. Then there's there's no justification for um, uh, either marital partner for um, treating their, their partner with disrespect, let alone violence. Um, so um, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you don't deserve to be abused if you're a man by your wife. Um, what you deserve is respect and love and um, kindness, and, um, and that, that kind of relationship should extend in both directions, from husband to wife and from wife to husband. So um, – Yes, it's it's it, you know whether you're a man or a woman in a Christian relationship, it's it's frequently difficult for uh, people in the church to deal with, um, to recognize and deal with the fact that violence occurs in in um, intimate relationships, and what to do about it. And um, you know whether you're in the church or out of the church, people are people, and um, most people's reaction to hearing about abuse of any kind is to is to deny that it exists or to minimize its impact or pretend like it'll go away. 
um, and and that's just not how it works. And so um, so um, and pastors are particularly, I think, prone to um, uh, some kind of false pride that prevents them from recognizing their people just like everybody else in the church, and that they if they're married to some, and a woman who's abusive that they have the same options and the same responsibilities to themselves and to their uh, children to take action to prevent um, the abuse from continuing. Um, denial is, um, is the primary way which the victims of abuse cope, um, at least initially. And um, as I said earlier, you know, it usually takes um, people in, in intimate relationships years to come to terms with the fact that it's not going to change and that they need to take action and leave if the abuser will not get help. So um, whether you're, you know, a pastor or a lay person or Christian or not a Christian, abuse is abuse. And, um, and the same dynamics happen um, in families and in people uh, who are victims of abuse, which is, you know, the initial response is kind of shock and denial and, um, for people who are not narcissistic, they think, oh, my gosh, what did I do to cause this? It must be my fault somehow. And um, that's really the first hurdle that people need to overcome in order to recover from um, being in an abusive relationship is to recognize that, you know, if you're a victim of violence, it's not your fault. Um, the other person is, is completely responsible for the violence that are inflicting on you, and your job is to protect yourself and your family, and your, especially if you have kids, to protect your kids. And, and if you can't stop it, then then get out. Um, so, um, so yeah, violent, uh, domestic violence in church families, especially in, in the families of pastors, um, is a particularly difficult situation because there's a, a lot of pride involved, and in, and people don't want to admit that they have a, a dysfunctional relationship and that that their wife may be violent. Um, but it, it happens. It, it, it happens a lot. Um, the numbers are basically, you know, there's a, over a million episodes of domestic violence that are reported every year, and that's probably a extremely small number. Um, there's probably two or three times the, that amount of, of uh, domestic violence incidents every year. And, you know, it happens to Christians, and it happens to non-Christians, and it happens to pastors, and it happens to lay people. So, um at the same dynamics apply. Right. And, you know, when we think of the word violence, violence kind of makes someone think, okay, well, I'm not being hit. I'm not being punched. I'm not being, uh, you know, kicked around. I'm not this. They, they, then they say, okay, well, you know, I'm not a victim of domestic violence. But if you've been slapped, if something's being thrown at you, something's being thrown on you, something, you're being pushed, you're being shoved, uh, you're being mentally uh, hit. And when I say mentally hit, words do have an impact. They are sometimes worse than being physically hit. The words that can be spoken to a human being because those words have the power of life and death in them. And so sometimes um, the Bible talks about, and, and I'm, I'm not going to just like, you know, Bible bump or anything like that because I want this to be where anybody can hear it and listen to it and be helped. So that's why, you know, I could go from that total line of perspective, but I really want this to be about humanity, human beings, wherever you are, 
whatever your position is, whether you believe in God, believe there is a God, or whatever, it does not change my position on, on my belief that I believe in God and that I am a Christian, but for the fact that you are a part of humanity. That's my passion. If you are a human being and you are listening to this show, you have you have legal rights, uh, the Bill of you know Human Rights. You have certain liberties and and things that this country affords you. And when those things are not being adhered to, then you have the right to speak up and to be heard. And in the wake of the Me Too movement, in the wake of feminism and all of the other isms that we have going on, it is especially important that you not lose sight of the fact as a people, no matter your color, no matter your gender, that we are all human beings and we are supposed to expect to be treated as human beings. Sometimes people treat their dogs and their pets better than they do another human being. And this is something that my hope is I'm one person, I'm one voice, and I'm connecting with other people and their voices so that we can lay a framework, if you would, and lay the ground open for men to come forward and to speak up and to speak out. I have been in a listening audience of other shows and heard people, pastors, call in and say, "Um, my wife was abusing me. I don't want to give my name. Uh, She was violent. She was throwing things at me. She was hitting me. She was beating me with skillets. She was hitting me with pots. She was, you know, throwing uh, liquids on me. She was doing this and she was doing that and she was doing this to our children and I couldn't take it anymore. So I stepped down as a pastor and got a divorce and my members turned on me. My family turned on me. You know, her family turned on me and people who I thought were my friends turned on me and basically said, you know, you're a man and there's no way that you're being abused. And you should, you know, you should suck it up or take it like a man. You know, look at look at how big you are. You know, there's no way that you are being abused. So I listened to him, and he was literally crying out for help because even though he was divorced, he wanted to be understood and he wanted to be heard. And he was only on, you know, he was in the listening audience of this show, and he had about three minutes to get that statement out. And then, you know, his time was up. And I wish that if this man is listening to this show at any point, please reach out to me and we will talk about it. And I don't allow people to mention other people or, you know, talk about the other side, the other half, because I'm hearing their story. I'm hearing their side of the story, and it is their story. Now, if I find that there's mistruth or misrepresentation in that, then I'll edit that and and won't air that show. Um, You know, I'll pull it out of my rotation. But I do my best to vet people out before I bring them on the show and to make sure that I've looked at what people are saying 
in terms of in response to what they're saying and if there's someone who's sticking up for them, has given them support or whatever. But more than that, I lean on my own spirit and discernment to tell me whether this person is telling the truth or not. And I have not had a situation where someone has lied to me. So I've had uh, people share with me, for instance, you know, I've got a family member. They say they're like six foot five, they're 400 pounds. They're with a woman who's like about five one and 90 pounds. And this woman is beating my family member. And they're using this new baby that they just had as ammunition as well to keep my family member in this relationship. Then uh, they went on to say to me that we got them out, the you know, the family member, the male, the six foot five, four hundred pound man, and the baby out, right? And she manipulated him into coming back and bringing the baby back. Then once she did that, then she moved the whole family out of state. And it was like a suddenly, you know, there was no announcement, hey, we're moving. I mean, once she got the man and the baby back in the house, she took them out of state, which tells me that she was already pre-planning that because everything just happened just like that. So she already had that in motion, and they said, you know, we want the baby out of this situation, and if he wants to stay in the situation, then that's okay. And I said to them, I said, you know, I really want to admonish you not to just wash your hands of your adult family member, because just because he's six foot five and 400 pounds, you're still looking at it as if, well, he's a grown man, he can do what he wants to do. And I said, well, you know, the analogy of uh, an elephant being trained in the circus, as big as it is, is it starts when it's small and it's chained up and it keeps trying to break free and it can't break free because it's not strong enough. It's not big enough to break free from the chain and the stake that's in the ground. But as it matures and it's got all this massive weight, the mind of that elephant has been trained to believe that. I can't leave. I can't escape because the brain has been conditioned and trained. And so I said to this family member of this man is that you ought to be just as concerned about him as you are about his child. And he says, you know, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I says, because we have gotten to a place where we just assume that because a person is in something that they are automatically somehow or another accepting this as their way of life. But in reality, it's because they've been conditioned to accept this, that they are accepting of it and all of the falling out of it, they assume that my family now, because I made this choice to go back, no longer, you know, they convinced them, well, you know, you're with me now, and it's just you, me, and our child, and so your family is not going to want to hear from you. So all of the things that 
go in place of cutting off and isolating them from their friends, from their family, from their social circle, from their their work community, if they were in you know, a part of a religious community, all of that is like, you know, uh, and for some reason it's like taking the word of God and twisting it and saying, you know, you're supposed to forsake all for me. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to cleave to me. So you you need to just leave all this behind, and it's about you, me, and our child, right? And because it's a little bit of truth in that, wrapped in a whole lot of lies, that they say, okay, well, this is this is my life, and this is what I choose to do, and this is how I'm going to live my life. And so um, it's like not violent enough to consider it domestic violence. That's that's what I'm running into a lot is that because I don't have scars, I don't have bruises, I don't have cuts, I don't have scrapes, I don't have this, I don't have that, I'm not being abused. There is emotional abuse as well as physical abuse. There is um, sexual abuse as well as physical and emotional abuse. There is financial abuse as well as sexual, physical, and emotional abuse. There is social abuse because you're being isolated. You're being removed from your friends, your family. You're being removed from your – basically, it's like you have no power in the house. And when you get outside of the house, it's like this is your one opportunity to try to hold on to some shape and form of normalcy. So. With with me painting that scenario, what would you say to the people who love these people, the people who are friends with these people, the people who work with these people? What would you say to that audience of people who say, well, you know, it's none of my business. It's none of my business. If they don't call me, if they don't ask for help, I'm not going to say anything. And, and I know that Police officers who go out are, they don't really like getting in domestic violence calls. And, and I see uh, in the news yesterday an officer responded to a domestic call, and he ended up being injured. Um, and I don't know if it was fatally um, or, or what, but it was really critically injured. And before it gets to that level, before it gets to that level, that's why I'm saying that, you know, to intervene in a situation before it escalates to that level because you refer to the, the will, domestic violence will, and it the intensity is stronger, but the the honeymoon period and all the different loving phases and love, they get shorter and shorter because you've now been conditioned to just take anything, any type of, uh, treat like like a little dog or whatever you know handing being handed out a little treat and saying okay good boy good boy good boy good girl okay so now it's like how how would you speak to that network of people what should be their response and how should they respond and how should they intervene well I I think you know part of the part of their intervention is just recognizing that. Um, abuse doesn't start out with violence. Um, abuse starts out with um, criticism. And so, um, you know, if you're in a social network of people and 
Um, you recognize a partner who's chronically critical of their partner, even in public. Um, you know, that's kind of the first sign that the relationship could be escalating into abuse. And so, um, you know, people who demean their spouses in public, make fun of them in public in a, in a mean way, um, are critical or controlling. Um, those, those are the early signs of, of escalation from, from just the social uh, manipulation to abuse. And so, um, it's, um, so those recognition is kind of the first step. You know, the second thing is, is that, you know, unless you have a strong personal relationship with someone, um, it's unlikely you're going to be successful in intervening and getting them to listen. And, um, and so the, the, the first step is, is that you need to have a relationship with somebody if you're going to help them. And so, um, um, you know, recognizing somebody's being mean to their wife in public and then pulling them aside and say, um, you know, you're being abusive. Don't you want me to help you? Um, is unlikely to work. You have to have a relationship first. And, um, you know, people who um, are abusive are, are um, relatively resistant to being helped. Um, and so the the person who's more, more likely to be open to it is the, the victim of the abuse who uh, may not yet recognize that they are being victimized and need help to sort of have their eyes open. Um, but that too is likely to, um, unless you have a relationship with that person, they're probably not going to be very open to saying, hey, you're in an abusive relationship and don't you want me to help you out? So um, so I think that the the sort of the key to intervening in those kind of relationships is to establish um, um you know, good, close personal relationships with the person who's the victim and be available so that when they're ready to get help, that you're available to be helpful. Um, you can, you know, provide people with information. You can make suggestions about things they can read online. Um, but, um, you know, if you if you push too much too early, then all that's going to happen is, is they're going to decide that you're another problem they need to deal with and, and they'll be uh, withdrawing from you and they'll limit your ability to help them. Um, most people are terribly ashamed. The victims are usually terribly ashamed of, of being in, in an abusive relationship. And, you know, if it's in the early stages where the most obvious sign of the abuse is the public criticism, um, most, and it's mostly women, but two or three of those victims are women. So it's mostly women who are, you know, feeling bad because they think they deserve the criticism and they must have done something to trigger it in the first place. And so, you know, having a conversation about abuse um, is unlikely to go very far. So uh, I think the, the first challenge is, is just to recognize when there are people in your social circle who are in these early stages of abuse where they're just victims of criticism is to establish um, relationships and, and continue to maintain contact with these people. But, don't push and and don't don't preach um, because it's only likely to um, drive them away from you, limit your ability to be helpful. Um, you know, as, as I as I said earlier, escalation um, in these relationships takes years before people get to the point where they're being um, physically abused and recognize that it's abuse and it's not their fault. And so. Um, it's it's important to let people sort of walk their own path and walk alongside them 
and be available to them um, and and be a model for how good relationships are supposed to work um, by being kind and respectful and um, loving in the biblical sense um, yourself so that they recognize the contrast between what you're doing and what you're modeling and what they're experiencing in their own home um, that helps people then to recognize there's something wrong with my relationship and, and maybe I don't deserve this. So um, I think the, the challenge, you know, initially is that um, most abuse victims don't realize they're being abused for a long time and they're resistant to the information that, oh, my gosh, you're in an abusive relationship and this is going to get worse um, because most people deny the seriousness of it and and blame themselves Um and so it's important to just, you know, be there and be a friend and, and wait for people to reach out to get help. Um, it, it just doesn't work to try to kind of help people, push them along the path so that they get smarter faster. Um, it just, it takes a while. You know, um, and like I said, I've been a victim of, family violence, uh, and domestic violence. And as difficult as it was, I think I spent, um, say, in a domestic situation more than once, in a domestic violence situation more than once. But when I kind of like became aware that I was going to be a mother and something inside of me began to change, Whereas, you know, I had grown up in a violent environment. I had grown up watching women beat men. I had grown up watching women diminish men. I had grown up seeing these things. And I did not become an abuser, but I became the opposite. And for me, my turning point was, the birth of my child. Uh, being pregnant definitely was the beginning of it because I reflected on what I had endured as a child. And all I could think of is that I don't deserve better, but this child does deserve better. And so I'm injecting that into the scenario because it was probably about five months after I had given birth that I made my exit and lived in a women's shelter. And I made up in my mind that for the sake of my child, for the sake of my child, I would never allow myself to be treated that way again or get into that situation again. And it wasn't because anybody on the outside came and rescued me. I, I literally know that it was as broken as I was and as far away from God as I was that it was God that began to speak to me in, in my spirit and share that the reason I was allowing myself to be abused was because of what I had grown up seeing. I had grown up seeing men being abused. And I, there's this one um, episode that I remember, and, it, and generally it was always over money. <laughs> it was always over, over money. 
um, you know, her controlling the money scenario and feeling as if um, all of the money was not under her control at any given time would trigger an event. And I remember we we had like um, great, you know, like what they call the great harbor, and we were out under the great harbor, and it was nightfall. And um, there was an axe that was in, you know how like in a stump of wood and, you you know, you put an axe in there? And I remember mm-hmm. her reaching for the axe. And he was like at the back of the Great Harbor and she was at the front of the Great Harbor and I was in the middle of the Great Harbor. And I remember seeing her reach for the axe. It's like she stopped talking. She was, you know, cursing and yelling. She this is a Christian. Okay, she picked picked up the axe just real quick, and when I saw the axe raised up, I knew that she was getting ready to swing it, right? And I remember as a child, I might have been about seven, eight, and I just said, Jesus. (laughs) And at that moment, there was like an arm that reached out and grabbed her arm, and she was trying to swing it, and she couldn't swing it. And she dropped it and walked away and went in the house. And he had his back turned this whole time, oblivious to the fact that she was about to ask him. And when he turned around and he looked down and saw the axe and he saw me, it was just like the shock and the horror on his face. And I don't know what my expression was looking like, but I was like, okay, where do I go now? Do I follow her in the house? Do I stay out here with him? Or do I just run away? Horrible. And I, yeah. And I kept waiting for his cue. It was kind of like, okay, he was the one that was being abused, and I was going to follow his cue. So if he had, you know, if he had gotten in the car, I would have gotten in the car with him, I know, and left with him. But he didn't. He went back in the house, so I went in the house with him. So I I would see um, her um, hit him upside the head with, you know, um, her fist, and he wore glasses, and she wore glasses, and his glasses just go flying off his face. Um, You know, picking up skillets, picking up stuff and, you know, swinging it and uh, with a fireplace and she would pick up the fire brand poker and swing at it with it. And I just, you know, I, I have all these things that I can still remember and I was a child. I can still remember it just as, as if it was like yesterday. And This is why, and it wasn't just him, because there were um, sisters, there was like, um, oh, there was like, you know, it was like multiple sisters, and they were all abusive in some shape, form, or fashion to their husbands, and their husbands were big men, either, you know, uh, heavy, big, tall, but they were all like tall men. 
and um, seven feet tall men, and these women were like in the five-foot range, and they were abusing these men. And I, and I saw this for up until I was 18. And so at 18, that's when I decided, you know, I had enough. You know, they they weren't going to leave, so I was going to have to leave. I was going to have to get out of this situation. And, and there's more to that. So for me, it's, it's like um, as a child, a child shouldn't have to grow up to grow out of and get away from a situation. But if the parent in the household does not take action and get the child out and, you know, into a safe situation or a safe scenario, then the experience that the child has is like, you know, I can remember things uh, as far back as two years old. And that's that's pretty consistent with what we understand about the effects of abuse. Um, Traumatic memories tend to have more oomph um, than, than a normal memory. And so um, because of the amount of um, kind of emotional arousal and upset that abuse uh, creates in the victims and even in the, as you say now, as you're talking in the witnesses of the abuse, um, those memories tend to be pretty powerful and long-lasting and um, and easily triggered. And so um, surprisingly, um, relatively benign things like um, sounds and smells um, can trigger the, these traumatic memories. And so um, that's one of the reasons why it's so important to get kids away from abusive um, settings early um, because it really does affect the long-term development of their brains and how Susceptible, susceptible they are to uh, to stress and to being triggered by you know relatively benign events or things that look benign to other people can be triggers for victims of abuse. So um, you're you're just demonstrating just uh, you know the long term powerful effect of of living in, a, in an environment where people are abusive to each other, even if you're not necessarily the direct victim of the violence. It's 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 just bad for kids. It's just bad, and it's bad for the adults too. Um, you know, you don't have to be—you don't have to be little to be a victim. Um, as you're t- as you're pointing out in your stories about um, your family, um, you know, size is really not a of a, a preventer of being a victim of abuse. Um, um, big or little, you can be the victim of abuse if you're in a relationship with a person who, you know, acts out that way. And so, um, and so for you know, for men, it's um, it just being big is not a protection, a defense against being abused. Um, if your your partner is uh, abusive and angry and out of control, then you can be a victim regardless of your size. And um, so, um, it's it's just important for people to recognize. You know, if you're the victim of abuse, it's not your fault. It's just not your fault. And you need to um, feel okay about taking steps to protect yourself and prevent the abuse from um, reoccurring and um, in whatever that is um, you know, talking is always the first step but for most for most abusers talking is not helpful because it's difficult for them sometimes it's possible for them to admit that they did anything wrong and they'll blame you for the abuse and if you recognize that that's the pattern then it's time to go um, so um, and for kids, 
they don't have the choice. They're stuck with their parents until they're big enough to leave as you did or until somebody from the outside intervenes in the family and says that we need to take the kids away to protect them. So um, your, your story is a very powerful one about the, the effects of just being a witness to abuse. So thank you, Patricia. Thank you. And, you know, for a long time, I kept silent about it, you know, um, for a long time. But it was always a nagging, gnawing feeling inside of me. What can I do? You know, what can sure. I do? I'm one person. Um, you know, nobody's going to believe me. <laughs> nobody's going to believe me, you know, because the people now that I'm speaking about, they're deceased now. You know, they're all deceased mm-hmm. um, uh, on both sides of that and but the effect of that was very 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 real in my life and that's why it's like when I see the the movements that are happening around us I get upset about about the direction that they go in because it's about being a human being you know it's there's a way to treat a human being and it should not be, and it says, okay, well, you know, we women have been, um, what did it say, um, the underdogs and, and women have been mistreated by men for centuries, da-da-da-da, so, you know, it's all about the women. It's, it's our turn now. And as long as we have it's about me, it's not about us. And if one person can just say, okay, let's stop this. Let's stop making it about making it about me, myself, and I, and let's make it about the world. This is a global issue. People, I have people reaching out to me from outside of the United States, Dr. Kevin, um, to have conversations with me. This is and a global problem. It's a global problem. It, it's not a Texas problem, it's not a United States problem, it is a global problem. And as long as we are allowing the isms to uh, dictate the conversation, then it's never going to, it's it's never going to be about the Bill of Rights, it's never going to be about uh, the rights of children, it's never going to be about the rights of human beings, because all these things have been vetted out. You know, the, the children's rights um, was uh, set in place in 1959. The things, the way that children should be treated, the way children should be, you know, um, afforded the ability to grow up and, and all of that. that. That was, you know, put in place in 1959. The Bill of Human Rights was put in place, and, and I forgot the year on that. But all these things have been put in place. The civil rights, all these things have been put in place, yet we still have this, we still have this train that's riding off of the rails. You, you know what I'm saying? It's like we, it's like a train that's coming down to the split in um, the path, like it's you know going in a straight line, and then all of a sudden, okay, is it going to go left? Is it going to go right? Depending on the the path that it's going to, right? So I, I would like to see if it's going to split, let it split and be going to the same destination going to the same destination. So having this conversation with you, Dr. Kevin, I would like to invite you back to the show. 
um, because I think we just scratched again. And if you want to give out your information, we have 60 seconds left in the show, uh, please feel free to do so. But I have put it in the show description. And anyone who wants to talk about this, men, my show platform is open to you. Please reach out. So before we please go, get help. Patricia, yes. Before we go, I'd, I'd like to. So there's a national domestic violence hotline, and the number is one eight hundred seven nine nine seven two three three. Um, and there's a lot of resources available online. If you look up domestic violence on Google, there's all kinds of people out there who would provide with both information, um, free online counseling, free you know, phone counseling. But um, but I would say that the if you're involved in a, a violent relationship um, of any kind, that the 1-800 number, 799-7233, the National Domestic Violence Hotline, is the place to start to get somebody to talk to, and then um, and then go online and, and look for resources to get uh, smart about the pattern and about other resources that may, may be available to you locally. Um, Patricia, thank you so much for what you're doing to um, make people aware about the extent and the nature of um, domestic violence, especially violence towards men. And uh, I look forward to talking to you again. Thanks very much for having me on. Thank you, Dr. Carlson. Have a blessed day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, you have been listening to Patricia Adams Live. And once again, we had on the air with us Dr. Kevin Carlson. And we want you to... Please, 1-800-799-233, the National Domestic Violence Hotline. But let's make today a great day. Be blessed. Until next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.